Let me pray. Lord God, Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this opportunity to gather together in freedom without fear of persecution. Uh, and we are here, Lord, to honor you, uh, to worship you, to sing your praises, and to be under your word. So, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit, guard my words, uh, and may you be uh, running our hearts and our minds this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, very glad to be here. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it has struck me uh, this week especially just what privilege we ministers have uh, to speak into this community uh, at a very difficult time, the community of Hockle, uh, on occasions such as this following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. This is a moment in history uh, that none of us will probably forget. We'll always remember it. And we will continue to process, I think, for a good while to come. She was such a formidable uh, leader, um, formidable queen, uh, and we will think of this time for a long time to come. So it's a privilege for us as ministers to speak into you as a community. It's actually also a privilege to speak directly on this most important of topics this evening, this most important of concerns, at least it should be an issue that we are all concerned about, and that is hope in death. The title this evening is Hope in Death. Death is something that is very much us as ministers we deal with all the time, if not just practically as the ones who help carry a grieving family through the process of losing a loved one. You know, we can be a focal point, a real help at those times. But also death is our business in a way. Because to us and to the Christian, in contrast to the rest of the world, death is hope. Death is a new beginning or a continuation of our eternal journey. Far from being hopeless, death is full of hope for the Christian. So whilst it is our job to help and to aid those who are mourning, it is very much our role to point beyond death to the real and eternal hope, the faith, that faith in Christ provides. Now, tomorrow is an extraordinary day. As we all know, it will be the funeral of our late queen. And as a nation, we will be mourning. Most of us will be sitting in front of the TV at some point, watching proceedings. And we will take part in the laying to rest of Queen Elizabeth. It will be the last of all these formalities she will be buried in St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. And even though it is, as I say, an extraordinary event, an extremely ordinary thing will be happening. She will be lowered into the ground, her remains will be lowered, and she will not get up until, of course, our Lord Jesus returns. I did a burial of ashes uh, on Saturday there. That was a lady in her 90s as well. It wasn't televised. There was only any, about eight people there at it. And yet that very ordinary thing is identical to what's happening tomorrow in many ways. Remains of someone who has passed will be lowered and there will be no resurrection until Jesus comes again if they are among Christ's sheep. This hope and death that we speak of will depend fully 
for the Queen and for the lady I buried yesterday and for every one of us in here. It'll depend fully, nothing more, nothing less, on our faith and the life and the saving work of Jesus Christ. All the pomp and ceremony aside that we are viewing recently, any hope in death will rest solely for the Queen on what her view of Jesus was. Romans 10, 9 tells us if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and we know in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We all have a good confidence for our queen in that first bit. She confessed with her lips that Jesus is Lord. She did that every Christmas, didn't she? But God is the only one that can see that second bit if she knows in her heart that God raised him from the dead. And that goes the same for every one of us. We can be confessing all we like, but God knows what is going on in our hearts. So what is this hope in death? What is this hope that is for us, for the Christian in death? Well, I chose Revelation this, this evening uh, to give us a picture of that hope that is there for the Christian. Because when we think of life beyond death, we think about heaven, don't we? That passage from Romans 21 talks about the new heaven and the new earth, and those are God's words directly as well. The new heaven and the new earth. Now, when we think about heaven and when we think about hell, because that warning is in there too, you'll notice that. That's not to be ignored just because it's not nice. When we think of those places, we get all worked up. We can get all worked up, can't we, about what those places are like. Trying to describe the happiness of heaven or the unhappiness of hell. can get our minds into all sorts of places that maybe aren't that helpful and often, often beyond what it says in Scripture as well. People can switch off pretty quickly when we think or try to describe in detail what that'll be like. I'm just going to focus in on two verses from that passage, verses 3 and 4. And I don't know whether the, the chap at the PowerPoint could put up those two verses. They were up from the Bible reading. Maybe you could just put those up for everyone uh, this evening. That would be helpful. Just verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to focus in on two things that will come out of those two verses that will hopefully excite us about life beyond death, about the hope that is offered beyond death to the Christian. The first thing is, God is in heaven. This new heaven and this new earth, God will be there. And the second thing is that sin will be no more. Now, when we think about heaven, we often think, well, who's going to be there, don't we? We think about that. We wonder, will the people that we have loved and lost be there? We might think, will certain famous people be there? You've often heard people say, oh, you'll be surprised by who gets in, and you'll be surprised by who's not there. You hear that said often enough. Well, verse 3 there suggests that the one who is there, the important one to be there, is, of course, God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
What is our hope following death? Our hope is that we will be with God. Who do we get to be with when we're in heaven? God himself. Heaven won't be heaven because Auntie Bessie is there. You know that she loved the Lord and you hope that she's there. She might well be there and you may have the joy of being reunited with her. Although there's not a lot in Scripture that really hammer that home, although I don't see why not, why wouldn't we? What we are guarantee is that God will be there. Now, I don't know how close you are or how close you feel to the Lord today on earth. We all feel closer, maybe, to our husbands and our wives and our family members and our children and our friends. Maybe that's why that's who we think of when we think about heaven, because they're the ones we are around and are alongside us. And we hear that, oh, he's gone to... You've heard that as well. When someone passes, oh, he's gone to be with his late husband. Oh, Sammy, he's gone to be with Martha again, or whatever. It sounds lovely and it's reassuring. But the main thing about the new heaven and the new earth, different from where we are now, is not who else is there as much as it is who the main one is that's there. Being in God's presence is something you may feel you have felt in your life. Some of us sometimes feel closer to him at times than others. Some of us struggle with that concept altogether and feel that God's a bit distant or away or apart from us. When we get to see him, when we get to be with him, that will be a wonderful thing. And beyond anything we can imagine, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man in this new heaven and new earth. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Is that not beautiful? What about that? It's not so much about seeing your loved ones again as much as it's about being with God. What must that be like being with the creator of heaven and earth? Being with the one who knows us and made us. I think the more you read your word, by the way, and get to know God and his character, the more we can be excited and hold on to this hope of meeting him for real. Take Psalm 3.9, for example, and I talk about the psalm all the time. We're reminded of it that God knows when we sit down, when we rise up, he knows what we're say, going to say before we say it. He's acquainted with all our ways. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. Is it not the case that the people we most love on this earth are the ones who know us well, understand us when we go to them? When we go to them, we feel understood by them. We feel loved and understood by those who are closest to us. God loves us completely. He understands us completely. He's missed nothing. And every wee moment in our lives, he knows it and remembers it. Go to be with him. We like to come home to our family members, don't we? 
and be embraced and know the ones who love us and love and, and, and understand us most. God understands us totally. And when we are with him, when we dwell with him, we will be home and home for real. Most of us never got anywhere near the queen. I didn't anyway. Or many of us will never be anywhere near King Charles. But the very best that we could hope for, I'm sure, is a wee hello or a handshake or a smile in some lineup at some stage. There's not a chance they would remember our name five minutes after if we did meet them. Why should they? But the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, knows your name. He made you with love. He knitted you together. He formed each one and every one of us. He's missed nothing of our lives, every detail, and we will be with him. There'll be no red rope. I imagine there'll be no big queues for days upon end, just a curtsy. Oh, to realize that this is our God, to know him for real as a loving and understanding God and to be with him, communicating with him, whatever that is like. There's a wee bit in Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 8, and it's sadly just after the fall, but it has this line, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What would that have been like? That's what Adam and Eve had access to before the fall. They could walk alongside the Lord God in the cool of the day in the garden. Imagine that sort of scenario, being with God with nothing in the way. What can we hope for in heaven? We will be with God. The second thing from those wee verses that Revelation describes about heaven is that there will be no sin. In one way you could say God will be there and the devil won't be there in this new heaven and this new earth. The devil who is the ruler of this world will not have authority. After the fall we were cursed and we were cursed with death and loss and decay and pain. In the new heaven and the new earth there will be none of that. Verse 3 says we will be with him and verse 4 then says that he, that's God, will do this for us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Not only that, death shall be no more, neither mourning, neither tears, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. The former things are the misery of earth. This place where Satan rules. All the suffering on earth, all the things that cause pain and mourning and loss will be no more. Now you hear a lot of in this day and age and you get a lot of people saying and asking things like, how could God, how could a good God allow all this suffering, all this pain, all this disease, loss. And they might even say, if they're very brave, I can't wait to meet God so I can ask him, why? They might even say, I can't wait to ask God, how dare you allow these things to happen? Here's a response. No one will be with the Lord in heaven 
and put their hand up and say, ah, sorry, could I speak to the manager, please? Excuse me. Does nobody not realize what I've been through in this life? Does nobody not know how I suffered? Is this all there is? No one will be in heaven objecting to the standard. Could I have a word with the manager? Need to speak to someone. Does no one realize what I've been through, the pain that I've suffered? People can suffer all sorts of trauma, distress, loss, pain in life. And people can reel against God, and many do. And they can say all sorts of horrendous things. What's God playing at? I don't deserve this. Many of the things that do happen in this world, in this life, can feel very unfair, and they are unfair. But God knows that, and he sees it. But for many, it is enough to write God off for good. Some God allowing all this to happen to me or to such and such. But no one will be in heaven saying, no, not good enough. Don't you know what I've been through? Get me the manager. No, he will wipe away every tear. And that means he'll not just put her arms around us like our mums and dads might have done and say, there, there, it's okay, don't worry. He'll wipe away every tear. So when he wipes away our tear, he'll wipe away our last tear. It will be gone. There will be no more tears no more death. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So often we think about heaven, and we think about all the good things we get to do up there. When I was a wee person, I wondered, would there be ice cream? And what sort of chocolate would there be? And would there be uh, merry-go-rounds and all these sorts of things? How about thinking about the things that won't be there? All the things that create and cause sadness will be no more. And what will be left after all this is gone? It'll be just joy anyway. We all know sin is the cause of so much, well, of everything that's broken in this world, I think. In heaven there will be no tempter, no devil, and therefore will be no sin. And no desire to sin. That will be taken away from us. I think that's something we can hardly imagine. What life will be like without the desire to sin. Imagine every person you meet, every person you know, and there's no sin between you, there's no desire to sin, Imagine totally and fully trusting everyone you come across. Fully trusting and fully loving them. Because sin isn't there. The desire to sin isn't there. No one wants to hurt me. Or will or can hurt me. Complete love and trust because absolutely everything. Or between everyone. No scheming, no jealousy, no second guessing. 
ill thinking, is this person, is he going to say something to me if I share that with him? None of that. No anxiety about making the wrong impression. All of that's gone. Total full trust and love between individuals because sin isn't there and the desire to sin is gone. It's taken away. I haven't a clue really how joyful that will be, but I have suspect it will be unimaginable to be in a place without sin. Jumping back to Genesis quickly as well, and this is just before the fall, chapter 2, verse 25. And of Adam and Eve, they say, and they felt no shame. They were not ashamed. You know that human beings are the only species that blush? It's only us. That's a unique thing to us. And why do we blush? We blush because we're caught, usually, doing something wrong. We're embarrassed that we might have done something wrong. Shame. It's something that we have, and we have it because of sin. So what do we hope for in, in death? Well, through trusting in Jesus as your Savior, we hope that in death we will be in a new heaven and a new earth and we'll be with God, and we will be without sin. Both those things should be enough to get us really excited and really hopeful and really looking forward to life after death. And it stands to reason that the deeper we go in our faith, the more we read and study God's Word, the more we come here to church and sit under faithful teaching, the more we learn about God and His character and we want to be with Him, and the more we learn about our own brokenness and we look forward to being rid of sin and temptation. And then the more and more we look forward to this hope of being with God, with sin and death removed. And what is that sin in? What is that hope in, sorry? You all know it's in Christ, in Jesus who is the image of the invisible God on earth. That's what Scripture tells us. And it's in Jesus, the very one who defeated the sin and death on the cross and opened the gates of glory. So I encourage you, I plead with you, read your word. Learn more about our Lord God. Learn more about your own brokenness before God and learn more of the wonderful Savior who makes all of this possible, who provides all this hope beyond the grave. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that is within it. We thank you, Lord, that in view of death, the Christian should have no fear. The Christian should not just feel compensated by life after death, but the Christian should be excited and hopeful and looking forward to life with you. Lord, may we faithfully 
grow deeper in our faith. May we read your word. May we gain a knowledge and a deeper understanding of you, Lord God, and your character from your word and of our own brokenness. And so through that, may we have a deeper appreciation of Jesus and what he has done for us, this wonderful gift of eternal life through him. So Lord, bless us and guide us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.